the book of Matthew chapter 25, and this morning we're continuing our series of sermons on stories that change the world, the parables of Jesus. And we're coming today to one that is used often to talk about stewardship, and we're going to talk about stewardship, and we're going to talk about responsibility, and we're going to talk about using what God has given us, but it's also one of those parables that is often misinterpreted because it's not taken in the context in which Jesus told it. If you look in chapter 25, and you've got one of those Bibles that has the words of Jesus in red. How many of you have one of those? If you look at the Bible and it's got the words of Jesus in red, what you'll notice is all of 25 is in red, right? Right? Like my two-year-old Luke, when he looks at us and asks us something, he'll go, right? And if we don't answer him, he keeps saying right until we answer him, all right? If you look at verse 25, it's, or chapter 25, it's all in red. I want you to look back to chapter 24. Most of chapter 24 is in red, right? So what we have here is an extended teaching time from Jesus. And what we have to understand is what prompted this. If you go back to the beginning of chapter 24, it's an interesting thing that prompts this teaching. It tells us that Jesus left the temple, was walking with his disciples, came to him, and called his attention to the buildings. Look, Jesus, look at all these temple buildings. Isn't this magnificent, Jesus, isn't this wonderful? Look at where we are. You ever been on one of those tours of some building that was just unbelievable? Jesus, did you see that? And Jesus looks at him and says, Do you see all these things, he asked? I'll tell you the truth. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of the coming of the end of the age? What Jesus says is, Listen, this looks beautiful. This looks unbelievable. But realize one day it will all be gone. I don't know how to tell you this sensitively, but everything you own materialistically in this world will one day be gone. Amen? Your house, your clothes, your car, anything you have, your boat, whatever it is that you treasure on this earth that is material will be gone. Jesus looks at all these fine buildings and he says, listen, all this will be destroyed. So a little bit later, his disciples are around, and this is called the Olivet Discord because he's on that place. And as he sits down, the disciples come to him and go, Jesus, wait a minute, (laughs) what you said back there, that was a little crazy. Um, When's that going to happen? We need to get ready for that. When's that going to happen? And so what you have in chapter 24 and chapter 25 is Jesus answering that question. What people miss sometimes is that the parable of the talents is an end times parable. You see, Jesus begins by saying, listen, it's not your responsibility to know the day or the hour. It's not gonna, that's not a big deal. There's going to be lots of stuff that's going to happen between now and the coming of the end of the age. Now, you have to remember, these people didn't know that Jesus was about to be crucified. They didn't know he was going to raise from the dead. They didn't know he was going to send back to the Father. They hadn't read Revelation because it hadn't been written yet. So they don't know what he's talking about, but he's setting the stage for them to understand and says, listen, all this stuff's going to happen. And then he tells these stuff about, listen, you don't know when it's going to happen, you don't know what's going to happen. Chapter 25, he tells the parable of the ten virgins, and the understanding there is five of them were prepared, five of them weren't. The idea is be prepared. And then he comes to verse 14. 
So I want you to imagine for just a minute that you're sitting around on a mountain and Jesus is sitting there teaching and somebody says, Jesus, when is the end coming? When's the end of the world coming? When's it going to happen? And Jesus says this, starting in verse 14. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who received five talents brought the other five. Master, you entrusted me with five. I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come, share your master's happiness. The man with two talents also came and said, Master, you have entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who received one talent came. Notice the difference in demeanor. Master, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I'll harvest where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. You should have at least put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would receive it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. For everyone who has will be given more, and you have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken. Throw the worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. They come to him and they say, Jesus, when's all this going to happen? And Jesus basically says, it's not for you to know when. You've heard me talk on end time stuff before if you've been around. And you know that I am not one of those that's going to put a big graph up here showing you when the end of the world is coming. I'm not going to walk through the book of Revelation and try to read everything that's in there and say to you, this is when the world is coming to an end and Jesus is coming back. Now, when could it happen? At any moment. Because Jesus' focus here is not on when it's going to happen. Jesus' focus is here on that you must be working as if it's happening at any minute. And what I want us to see today is three things this parable teaches us that we need to be readily aware of in our lives on a daily basis. And the first thing is this, that we have all been entrusted with talents. We have all been entrusted with talents. Now, that word is kind of a strange word. If you want to put a different word down there, you might put this. We have all been entrusted with responsibility. Responsibility is one of those words that's kind of become a dirty word in our society. Right? People don't want to take responsibility for their actions. They want other people to take responsibility for their actions, but they don't want to take responsibility for their own actions. We want to talk about our rights and our privileges, not our responsibility. But what we see in the beginning of this parable is the master gets ready to leave, and he says, listen, I'm leaving. I'm going to entrust. Now, just think about that word for a minute. 
It's a word that we use, but it's a pretty powerful word. The word simply means that God has put his trust in us with some stuff. Now, I don't know about you, but I generally like to put my trust in things that are trustworthy. Amen? We want to put our trust in things that are trustworthy. When I was in West Tennessee pastoring, we had, you know, in West Tennessee, as in parts of Middle Tennessee and East Tennessee, there are all these locally owned family banks, right? And there was a particular bank, not in our town, but in the town next door to us, that found out in a quick manner that the bank was going to fail. And so suddenly, this institution of the community that had been trusted for literally 75 to 100 years suddenly was no longer trustworthy. So can you imagine what people did? They went and got their money. And they put it somewhere else. Well, what about loyalty? They didn't care. Right? You would do the same. Amen? And so what we do is we put things in things we trust. Now, what's remarkable to me is, just get this at the very beginning, is God trusts you. Now, I'll just be real honest. There are times in my life when I think that is a poor decision. Not, not you, me, all right? Well, maybe you too sometimes, but both of us, all right? But Scripture teaches that we've all been given some. Now, I want you to notice this. We've not all been given the same amount, Right? It says that he gave five to one, two to another, one to another. And listen, it says there that he gave according to their ability. Some of us have more talents than others. And you know what? That's okay. That is perfectly okay. The problem is sometimes we want talents that we don't have. I heard somebody say, we want to evangelize like D.L. Moody, pray like George Mueller, preach like Charles Swindoll, counsel like James Dobson, and have the administrative abilities of all their staff. And Christ keeps looking at us and says, what is that to you? You've been entrusted with some stuff. I was taught this lesson again last weekend that some have more talents than others uh, on the ski slopes. Now I hear that my father-in-law talked a little bit about my skiing ability. And I need to clear up that story. I tried to do this Wednesday night. People didn't seem to believe me. I'm going to try it again, all right? Apparently, the words my father-in-law used were that I ran over Susan on the slopes. Is that what he used? Y'all let me know, all right? I wasn't here. I was there. Okay. Susan and I started skiing down the slope. I thought it was a moment to express my love to her. <laughs> Laughter is not the appropriate response. Oh, that, you know, that, oh, that's sweet. That's amazing. Um, and so, as I'm going down the, 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 the bunny slope, I, uh, I, I wrap my arms around Susan. We begin to go down the mountain at a rather rapid rate of speed. All the time, I'm hugging her tightly, telling her how much I love her. She is not returning those sentiments. I think the exact words were, get off of me, quit that, let go, don't you make me fall, something like that. I found a nice, gentle place to gently sit down and allow her to soften the blow so that we were all safe. She fell on top of me, not me on top of her. As we sat there in the snow, her words to me were, wow. 
I think I will find a new partner for the rest of the day. Now, here's what I realized over that weekend, all right? My wife is a much better skier than I am, okay? By the end of the week, she was going down the steepest mountain that was there. She was side to side, back and forth. By the end of the week, I was able to go down the second easiest one without falling, all right? And at the end of the weekend, I just had to come to the conclusion, that's okay. There are other areas where God has gifted me, and there are areas where God has gifted her. Now, that's kind of a silly example in skiing. But the truth is we all have different talents. And aren't you glad? I mean, aren't you glad that we all don't have the same talents and gifts? I mean, I am. I'm, I'm glad that God gave me what he gave me. I am excited about that. And I am really glad God gave you what he gave you. The point is that God has given us all some stuff. Now, I want you to realize sometimes we read this and we think that poor guy with one talent. I mean, I mean, of course he wanted to hide it. He didn't have but one talent. Now, I don't know. I could go into the, the uh, calculation tables and all of that, but a recent scholar has determined that each talent in our day and time would be worth about $247,000. That poor guy with that. That poor guy with only The one with five talents would have gotten about $1.2 The guy with two talents, about $494. Well, this is what I want you to realize. It was never theirs. What happens when the master comes back? They give it back to him. They give it back. And what we have to understand is that God has turned over some of his stuff. Now, this is what I want you to understand. He gives in abundance. He doesn't give sparingly. He doesn't say you just got a little bit. Whatever you have is great. And He gives us money. He gives us gifts. He gives us life. He gives us time. He gives us abilities. You have to ask, what is it that God has gifted me with spiritually? What do I have a heart for? What are my abilities in life? What is my personality like? What have my experiences taught me that I can use? God takes and gives you all of that. And the question is whether or not you are going to be faithful with what He's given you. Whether you're going to steward it, take care of it, manage it in a proper way. I read this week of a Swiss um, watch company's slogan. They were a watch company that wanted to show that their watches lasted for a really long time. And so their slogan was this, you never own one of our watches, you just take care of it for the next generation. Let me tell you, that is a great slogan in life. That God has entrusted us with some stuff, and we never own it. We just take care of it for the next generation. Let me tell you something. That's true of your house, of your car. That's true of your possessions. That's true of your talents, of your time. That's true of this church. We don't own this church. I'm the pastor of this church, and I realize that God has called me here for a certain amount of time. He has entrusted me with the responsibility over this congregation for a certain period of time, and then I am to turn it over to the next generation, whomever He's called here. And the truth is, I don't care how long you've been sitting in that seat, whether it's one week or whether it is 50 years, God has entrusted you with what is here at this church that you might take care of it, steward it, make it grow, so that the next generation can come along behind you and see God's work continue. That's what we are stewards of. We have been entrusted with all of this stuff. Well, now that's the easy part. It tells us that 
the master goes away and he entrusts his property to them. It tells us how much and what happens. And then it tells us in verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Here's the problem. God has given us these talents. He has given us these abilities. He has given us money. He has given us all this stuff. And sometimes we live life as if we think there will be no day of reckoning. Now, I'm here to tell you today, there will be. There is an unavoidable day of reckoning come. Now, we can sit in our time, we can sit in our daily lives and think that one day God is not going to come back. One day we're not going to stand before the Father. One day we're not going to answer to Jesus, our Savior. But the truth is, Scripture teaches that no matter how long the period between Christ's death and resurrection is, that He will come back. Now, what's interesting to me is Matthew was writing to some people. This is not when the story actually takes place, but when Matthew was writing it, who had been waiting for 20 or 30 years since Jesus went back to the Father, and they're saying, how much longer must we wait? And he says, after a long time. Now, for them, a long time was 30 years. Here we are, almost 2,000 years later, and we understand that a long time is a long time. Amen? And you know what? It may be a lot longer. The truth is that we may not be the last generation. We may be, but we may not be. What I think is interesting, when you look throughout the history of the church, the most productive generations of people for the cause of Christ have always been those that think they're the last generation. Now, so far, they've been wrong. But one day, we won't be. And so you have this unavoidable settling of accounts. I read this week about a pastor who took a trip to do a speaking engagement. and It was April of 2008, and he had to drive from Fort Wayne, Indiana. And so he, around Fort Wayne, Indiana, he rented a car, a Chrysler 300. He said he loved it. It was better than the car he'd had. He was cruising around. And he said, I remember that he was used to in his hometown going through some toll booths, but he had one of those I-Pass stickers on his car. They just read the sticker, and he just kept on going. Well, he forgot he didn't have that on this car. So he got in this car, and he just went through the I-Pass sticker without even paying attention, got out on the other side and thought, "Uh uh-oh. I just went through without paying. But then he said to himself, you know what? They're not going to come stop me for $1.50. So he said the next toll booth was a little easier to go through the I-Pass. He said that day he went through five different I-Passes. He never stopped once. He said, they're not going to come get me for $1.50. Fine. A few months later, everything was fine. He was sitting at his desk. He got a letter in the mail. He opened up that letter, and it said that he now owed $125.18. He looked at it, and accompanying each bill was a picture of his license plate from that rental car. And he said to himself, you know what? I sure thought they weren't going to stop me and that I was going to be able to go through and that one day I'd be free and clear of it. He said, but the truth is there was a day of reckoning coming. Chapter 25 says that the master comes back. 
two things I want you to see out of the master's reaction. First of all, adventurous faithfulness will be rewarded. Adventurous faithfulness will be rewarded. Now, as we're talking about those two words going together, adventurous faithfulness, they almost sound like they don't mix. I mean, when you think about faithfulness, you think steady, stayed, true, always there, firm. When you think of adventurous, you think crazy, risk-taking, doing something out of the ordinary. And the truth is that what we see in this passage of Scripture is that Christ wants us to be people who are adventurous in our faithfulness. He comes back, and the first two guys come up to him, and they say, Listen, Master, I went out, I risked your five talents, and I got five more. I had 1.2 million, and I risked it and ended up with 2.4 million. And the Master was excited. Amen? Anybody here excited if somebody did that for you? In our today's economy? Yeah. Today, you'd just be happy if they gained anything. We got it back. We got more. We doubled it. It's unbelievable. The master looks at him and says, well done. Well done. Some of us in life are natural risk takers. Some of us are just people that you're just going to go out there and you're just going to take some risk, whether it's in sports, whether it's in business, whether it's in life in general, you're just a natural risk taker. Most of us are not. Amen? We're just not. We like comfortable. We like safe. We like lazy boys in a warm environment. Amen? You know, there, there was something I saw on TV the other day that, that just confirmed to me that this is our natural tendency. It's one of those infomercials. Have you seen, you know, the infomercials that come on? This was one for as seen on TV product called, I think it was the Snuggly or the Snuggle. Have you seen that? It's a blanket cut out to be like something you wear. And my first thought was, man, that's ridiculous, but it would be nice, you know. They show them at a football game. Now, how many people are going to get weird looks at a football game? You're wearing a Snuggly, all right? But it just said, that's what we want. We want to curl up on the couch with our snuggly in our safe, warm environment with our security system on so nobody can get in and nothing disrupts our life. We're not risk takers. On the other hand, there are some risk takers in life. When we were skiing last weekend, uh, when you, there was a place for you to sit and eat, and they were playing this loop of things over and over again. And one of the things they kept showing on this high-definition television screen were these guys that were jumping off of mountains wearing nothing but this suit that when they stretched out their arms, it made them look like a flying squirrel. Some of you went skiing. You remember that, right? And, and they were they, they would just fly. And the, the, the wind kind of caught it, so it made them fall more slowly. And I think they had a parachute when they got to the bottom to pull, but that's how they glided. Now, what was crazy was, I mean, that's risky enough, amen? I mean, that's, that's too much for me, all right? There were some of those guys, they showed, that weren't content to just jump off the mountain and fly out there in open space. You could tell they were trying to get as close as they could to the mountain without touching it. They had their hands outstretched trying to reach over and touch the mountain while they're flying down. Now that is crazy, all right? This is what I said. If a wing gust comes up, you hit the mountain. You aren't a flying squirrel anymore. You're just flying, all right? Some of us are just natural risk takers. Most of us are not. Here's the thing. If you're going to live your life faithfully for the Lord with faithfulness, you must learn to take risks. 
when they said that this guy went out and gave five talents, he didn't put it in something that guaranteed him he was going to get five back. The nature of this is Jesus is saying, you have been given some stuff, now go take some risks. What he basically says, which is counterintuitive to us, is it's not your stuff anyways. If you lose it, so what? It's not yours. Your stuff right now, your money in your bank account, your, your house, your car. Now, I'm not telling you to go sell it all today, unless Jesus does. But it's not your stuff. And so if you risk a little bit and you have to downgrade from a BMW to a Nissan, so what? It's a car. And what we see at the end of this little scene is those guys come back, they show Jesus, and we see this warm reception. I love the payday that comes for these guys. Now notice, now one of them does get some money at the back, and it seems that they got kind of that, that Jesus kind of rewards them. But at the back, they're just kind of said, listen, here is your reward. And it's three things that don't have anything to do with money. They don't get money back. First of all, they get a personal commendation from the Lord. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now, we all hope for one day that we will be able to hear from our Lord and Savior, well done, my good and faithful servant. This is what I love. Just write this down somewhere in the margin of your notes somewhere. Write down Revelation 2.17. And I want you to go look there later, not right now. Because in Revelation 2.17, it tells us that when we get to heaven, that we will eat of a special manna. And then it says that we will have a name that nobody else knows. Now that sounds kind of weird for a minute. But I want you to think about this for a moment. When we get to heaven, we're going to stand before the Lord, and I get this picture that God is going to walk up to us individually, and he's going to whisper in our ear a special name that nobody else knows. And I'll tell you this. I don't think it's going to be a name like Bob or Peggy or Sue. All right? You see, in Scripture, when people got new names, it was always based on their character. When little Peter becomes big Peter, when Saul becomes Paul, when Israel is renamed. And I believe that based on how you have used what God has given you, he's going to whisper in your ear a special name that only you and him know. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Personal commendation is there. Secondly, there's heightened responsibility. Now, that sounds exciting, doesn't it? You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many. Listen, you did so well with this little, I'm going to give you more. The idea is that we'll have more responsibility. Some people think when they get to heaven, when they're done with this life, or when Christ comes back, that we're all going to get up there and there's just going to be a row of lazy boys with snugglies. Right? And we're going to sit all day long and we're going to enjoy ourselves. We're going to eat and never get fat. We're going to run and never get tired. But it's just going to be fun, fun, fun. Well, let me tell you something. It will be more exciting than anything you've ever done in your life. But here's a key. You will work in heaven. You write that down somewhere, okay? There was work before the fall of man. But here's the difference. When man fell, God made work tedious and hard and not enjoyable. 
And all of God's people said, Amen. But what will happen when we get to heaven, we will have responsibility over the new creation. And what you're doing here is showing God how faithful you are with the little things He's given you. And when you get to heaven, you may be put over, I don't know, master of the giraffes. I don't know what you'll be. All right? But you'll have heightened responsibility. And here's the last thing. You'll have intimate fellowship with Him. I love this. Come and share your master's happiness. One of the most amazing things about the God we serve is that he is so big and mighty and wonderful, and yet he makes himself small enough to be intimately related to us. At the end of this time, you get this idea that these guys were faithful with that little stuff, and so they were made bigger. Now, notice the five-talent guy and the two-talent guy get the same treatment. It doesn't matter how much you got. It's what you do with what you got. Let me say that. It doesn't matter how much you've got. It's what you do with what you've got. You see, the world asks, how much do you have? Jesus asks, what are you doing with what you have? In fact, the reality is that those of us with more are called on to be more risky. I mean, if this guy would have lost all five talents of his master, he's lost a whole lot more than the guy that lost one. But he still felt like he had to risk. And the problem is there are some of you that God has blessed in abilities and gifts and talents and finances. And you feel like that, that you, because you've been blessed with more, have to be careful more. The Scripture teaches the opposite is true. I read uh, the other day about a, uh, a guy that came up to uh, Peter Marshall, former chaplain of the U.S. Senate. And he came up to Peter Marshall and he said, I have a problem. He said, what's the problem? He said, I have a problem. I've always tithed all my life. And he said, you know what? When I was making 20000 a year, it wasn't a big deal to give 2000 He said, but now I'm starting to make 500000 a year and there is no way in the world I can tithe $50,000. Peter Marshall said, let me pray for you about that. He said, okay. So he bent down to pray and he said, Lord, this man has just given me an understanding that he has a problem with his tithing right now. And, Lord, we don't want him to be disobedient. And so, Lord, I'm asking you to bring his salary down to a point where he would feel comfortable tithing again. I don't think that's what the guy was looking for, do you? To whom much is given, much is required. We've got to be reckless in our pursuit of God. We've got to be adventurous in our faithfulness to Him. You see, the thing is, as a Christian, you are called to a life of high adventure, not... Not just conservation of values. Not just making sure your life is okay. You know, it says that we would have intimate fellowship with Him. David's whole life, all he wanted was to see the Lord, to live in the house of the Lord, to gaze upon Him forever. And what God has called us to do is to be adventurous in our faithfulness. To risk more than we would ever risk. To give more than we ever think possible to give. To live harder for him than we could ever imagine. After coming back from the skiing, I was so impressed with how great I had gotten over the last couple of days that I watched the Winter X Games. Anybody seen that? Extreme sports. People doing triple backflips and then landing on their skis. I think I'm ready for that. But I was watching and uh there was a snowboarder that had just gone down and tried a trick that had never been done before in history. And he landed it. And he was so excited. And they got back to the, the, the little, they had a couch set up and they were sitting there talking to him. And 
He said, uh, they said, man, that was, that was great. They said, you know you had the thing won if you would have just done a normal trick. So why did you do something so risky? He said, my philosophy has always been go big or go home. Amen? And when it comes to living your life in pursuit of Jesus Christ, I think to paraphrase Jesus here, and it's a loose paraphrase, it would be go big or go home. Because here's the third thing I want you to see here this morning. That security-seeking status quo is condemned. Sometimes in churches I'll hear as we talk about moving forward, we talk about doing different things, we talk about trying to reach people, and you'll talk to church and the church will say, I don't know why what we have here is so bad. If we just stay like we are, there's nothing wrong with that. If we just keep doing what we're doing, what's wrong with that? Listen, I'm not saying this. This is what Scripture's saying. Jesus said the guy that went out and hid the talent, that guy was a wicked, lazy servant. And I read a quote this week that said that the church of Jesus is often the place where buried, entrusted talents thrive. And so if you're here today and you think church is all about seeking security and the status quo, then Jesus' words for you are that that is a person who is a wicked, lazy servant. Not my words, his. Notice how the servant, even before the, the master, you know, he realizes he's in trouble here, right? I mean, he's seen what's happened. The first guy, guy goes, uh-oh, that guy got ten. Well, maybe this guy with two talents did something wrong here. You know, that'll make me look good. And the guy with two talents... He got two more, and then he goes, uh-oh, i got a problem. So notice the first words out of his mouth. Well, Master, I know who you are. He's already shifting the blame. The first two guys took responsibility for their risk. This guy won't take responsibilities for his status quo life. He just says, look, because you were hard, it's all your fault. I decided I'd go bury the talent. And the Master says, that's ridiculous. You should at least put it in the bank. And see, the problem with this servant's attitude was, first of all, that he had the wrong attitude towards his master. He was afraid. He was fearful. Now, I want to tell you, the Scripture is pretty, pretty explicit that we need to be fearing the Lord. But there's a difference in what we're understanding there. Fear of the Lord is not cringing in a corner, worried about what's going to happen. Fear of the Lord is dignified reverence for the majesty of who He is. You can fear the Lord singing at the top of your lungs in excited ways. You can fear the Lord when you are doing something as risky as can be. In fact, you are fearing the Lord more there than when you're burying your talents in order that you don't mess up anything. He says he's fearful. The second thing he says is that he's lazy. He's not doing anything. I mean, imagine the master went away for a long time and I... We don't have any idea what this guy did for that whole time. We know the others put theirs to work, and eventually they gained back five. They, they got their money back. They were working to do something. This guy went and buried it and probably sat on it. Not worrying about, well, you know what, I don't want to mess up anything. If somebody comes by, they might stumble upon it. And I don't want that to happen. I'm just going to sit here. Now, that's reading into it a little bit, but I just wanted to sit there. He was fearful. He was lazy. He was un imaginative. He didn't think of any way at all he could do something with it. He just sat. Somebody has said about the church in general, 
that what they see in churches today is a great deal of energy spent worrying over our buried talent. All in the name of normalcy, that becomes mediocrity. Many Christians have buried their talents in beautifully carved boxes of inactivity. And the truth is that sometimes what happens is we want God to bless us, we want God to do more, but we're doing nothing but sitting on our talents. I heard this week of a pastor that uh, used to frequent a coffee shop. And this pastor liked a lot of sugar in his coffee. He didn't take one scoop or two scoops. He took three scoops to start of sugar in his coffee. And he was sitting there one day, and the waitress walked by, and he said, Listen, I, I need another scoop of sugar. And she said, Honey, I ain't going to give you no more sugar till you stir what you got. All right? And I believe sometimes we expect God to bless us. We expect God to give us stuff. And God's looking down at us, and he says, Listen, I ain't giving you no more talents till you stir what you got. And there are some people in this room that need to get to stirring. They need to get to doing what God's called you to do. That doesn't mean plug into a program that you're doing just because you're doing it. I mean find out what God has called you to do. And you know what? Sometimes that changes in life. Sometimes God calls you to work with seventh graders for two years. And then by the grace of God, He calls you somewhere else. Amen? Sometimes God calls you to work with teenagers, and then He'll switch you to children, and then, you know what, to refresh you, He'll move you into adult class. Sometimes God will move you from senior adults to children or from children to senior adults. God will move you in different places, so get plugged in. Sometimes God will give you a desire to see people come to know Him in a way that you're going outside these walls all the time. And sometimes you feel like God's called you right now to take care of the people here. The reality is God calls us to different things. He gifts us with different things. But we need to be faithful with what He's given us. We need to stir what we got. And there are three key words to this whole passage. If you want to know what the three key words of this whole passage is, it's not going to be on the screen, but you can write it down there at the bottom. Three key words that come from the beginning of the story. Because you see the ending's not good. This guy didn't do what he was asked. The master takes away his money, gives it to the other guy, sends him out into the darkness, doesn't let him fellowship with him. We don't have time today. We're going to talk next week about salvation and the parable of the souls. We don't have time today to talk about whether or not the guy was saved. All right? It says... Verse 16, the man who had received the five talents went at once. If you're looking for the three words to write down, write, went at once. He didn't wait until, he didn't say, someday I will. He went at once. Some of you in this room, God's called you right now to use your gifts, your time, your talents. You've got to go at once. Some of you, God is changing what your gifts and talents and calling is. And it is time to say, all right, I'm done with that. It's time to go at once in this direction. Let me just tell you something. If this church and the people in this room would decide this morning that we were going to go at once and use our gifts, use our time, give our money like God has called us to do it, to be faithful stewards of what God's called us to do, there wouldn't be enough room in this place next week for the people that would come. It just wouldn't be. God is looking down on us today saying, when are you going to start? 
Some of you, he's looking down and he's saying, listen, I know you're faithful. Keep risking. Keep trying. I know that you're risking and you're trying, and it seems like you're getting nowhere, and nobody else around you is risking and trying, and yet you keep being faithful. You keep being faithful, adventurous in your faithfulness. And some of you today, he's looking down and he's saying, it's time to get off your rears and to start doing what God's called you to do. It's time to stir what you got. It says they went at once. Why? Because life is short. Life is short. We're less than a month away from my oldest son's sixth birthday. There is no way in the world he should be six years old. None. He should be like two, all right? You know how quickly the time has passed since he was born? I mean, it has just gone like the snap of a finger. And the truth is that our lives are like that. And when you look at our lives and the scope of everything, we are but a tiny dot on a tiny dot of a tiny dot in a huge universe. And our life is like a mist, like a vapor. Here one day, gone the next. Next time you're boiling water on the stove, I want you to watch as the steam comes off and how quickly it's gone. Scripture says that's what our life is like. And the truth is, Scripture teaches that if we don't use it while we're here, we don't get a chance to use it. And so this morning, the question I have for you, with what God has entrusted you, are you going to be willing to work? Are you going to be willing to give? Are you going to be willing to take an adventure and risk and live? Status quo is no longer good enough. In fact, in God's economy, it never has been. I don't know where we ever got that understanding. Adventurous faithfulness is there. Simple question before we pray. Are you ready to stir what you got? Are you ready to live what God's called you to do?